Uh, I'm James. Uh, I am a heroin addict. My sobriety date is September 30th, 2018. Uh, my sponsor's name is Casey Gooding. My home groups are the BPO meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous on Tuesday nights and Saturday mornings. If you'd be interested in joining us, please come let me know. I'd be more than glad to give you the information. Um, and uh, I am eternally grateful to the program of Heroin Anonymous and, and Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I have everything in my life today as a result of these programs. Um, congratulations on your 60 days, your 60 days and your nine months. I mean, those are, those are all huge achievements. There were points in my sobriety where I couldn't envision getting 24 hours. And I imagine everybody in this room can relate to that. You know, there was, I couldn't even imagine getting like 14 hours because I knew the sickness was going to set in right around hour eight, you know, right around hour eight and like four hours of dope sick. Nope. I, no, I can't hang. You know, I can't do that. And, uh, and here I sit with over two and a half years of sobriety, you know, and uh, it's all a result of the work I did in here. You know, I saw the, you know, when you took your chip, I saw the way you looked at your chip, man. And, you know, you were so proud of that thing. And like the amount of work that it took to get there, I know was immense, you know, and, um, and you got a long road in front of you as we all do, you know, but um, I know that as long as I do this thing a day at a time, that I will continue to live a happy, joyous and free life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I'm going to, um, you know, since I have a little bit of time, I usually don't go into a lot of my backstory, but I'll give you a little bit of my backstory. You know, I'll, I'll go into, uh, what I was like, what it was like, um, what, ha what happened and, uh, you know, what I'm like now, you know, I, I think those are the important parts to focus on more than like what it was like from a circumstantial type of point of view. It was like what I was like, you know? And what I was like was a uh, scared little kid at 30 years old, uh, giant ego and huge inferiority complex. And I have yet to really meet an alcoholic or an addict who's come in without those traits. You know, that's just the way we are. You know, we're so not well conditioned to the world. You know, um, I remember being a little kid, you know, when I, when I, I grew up, uh, my father was a executive for hotel companies. And, and what that really looked like is that we kind of lived the life of like a military family to some degree, you know, he'd get moved to being like the regional manager of this area, you know, regional VP of this area or whatever it was. And, you know, what that meant for my family and my sister and I especially was that we moved like every two to three years, you know, it's like, oh, we're in a new school now. We're in a new school again, a new school. And like, what is one of the number one characteristics, you know, and traits of an alcoholic? It's like, I feel like I belong nowhere. You know, where is home? Who are my friends? Who can I trust? You know, and, you know, I think I was born with some of those um, characteristics and trait. And I think some of those come from 
being an alcoholic and an addict. And then a lot of it was, you know, environmental and, and kind of like how it was brought up, you know, I would move school to school and it was like all across the country. And so, you know, I'd go from kind of one set of norms and values in this area to another set of norms and values in this area and different cultures and different things. And all that taught me was like, I didn't belong anywhere, you know? And I didn't realize it at that age that I felt like I didn't belong anywhere, but like, that's how I felt, you know? And so I went to all sorts of extremes, both emotionally and like acting out to get people to notice me or feel like I belonged or like, you know, you know how you, you go to that extent to like overexert yourself to like belong somewhere. And then you just like, don't belong even more. Cause people are like, you're fucking weird. Right. You know, <laughs> like, I think we've all been in that position, you know, like where people are just like, well, I don't know about you. Um, and, um, you know, my, fa my family kind of more or less landed in Chicago when I was like eight. And that's where I spent, you know, the majority of my formative years, if you want to call it that. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I always just remember feeling a little bit different. Like I didn't quite belong or like I was missing something that everybody else knew. Like, and eventually they were going to let me in on the secret at some point. You know, and I was like waiting for that. I remember having these thoughts when I was like a little kid, like it was all a stage, it was all a play. And like one day people were just gonna walk in and be like, surprise, you know? And like, it is, you know, it is a play. It felt like the Truman Show, you know? Like that's, that's kind of how I envisioned it, you know? And, um, you know, so I just felt so separate growing up, so separate. And, um, you know, that feeling stuck with me. Um, growing up until I found drugs, you know? And I didn't feel alone anymore. Um, you know, like most people, it started with alcohol and then it led to weed. But when I was 18, I had a girlfriend and uh, I went on like spring break and I came back and there was this huge ordeal, you know, cause like some of our friends had been doing heroin. You know, like, you know, I, I played this weird role in high school where I was like, I got really good grades and I played on like varsity sports teams, but like the people I hung out with were like the people who partied and did drugs on the weekend. And I like them way better. You know, I like the image that I got to have from the other things, but like the real James like to party all night and, you know, have no responsibilities and just blot out the world, you know? That's, that's what I like to do, you know, and, um, and I had this girlfriend and she came back week. I came back from spring break with, um, with some other friends and, um, she had been doing heroin. It was like this huge deal and every, you know, everybody's making this huge deal out of it. And I just remember thinking like, I mean, I tried that, you know, like, I don't know what the big deal is. And, uh, and so I did, and I have never felt so much relief in my entire life, you know? Never felt so much relief in my entire life. All the rejection I felt my entire life, right? You know, my parents got divorced like when I was eight, two, and like many of us. And, you know, my dad moved away and I didn't really have a dad growing up. And all of that just kind of faded away, you know, it just kind of faded away. And I didn't really have to worry about that stuff anymore. And, um, and that's how I solved the problems solve the problems in my life for the next uh 
you know, 13 years, I guess. Um, you know, pretty soon after I, uh, I, I did heroin, it didn't take me long to end up in a rehab, you know, uh, like most of us, I'm a very like all or nothing person, you know, like zero to 100, either zero or 100. It's not like, there's no like acceleration to 100. It's just like, I'm either at zero or I'm at 100, you know? And, um, you know, and so like eight, nine months, like I'm already a full blown heroin addict, you know? And um, I, I started sniffing it as well until like my nasal passages were so full that I couldn't, like I would like, you know, to the point where you would think somebody's like having a seizure, they're trying so hard, but I just couldn't get it up anymore. And, you know, <laughs> in many ways, <laughs> you know, not just up my nose. Um, but uh, so I'm like, you know, like, I guess you you know, people shoot this shit up, you know, and I grew up in Chicago and you could just walk in a pharmacy at, at 18 years old and ask for a bag of rigs. And they're like, okay, here you go. And God, I remember, I think, I don't remember how long it took me to like actually hit a vein, but I remember like, I don't understand like why people like this so much. Like it, I get way more effects when I snort it on my nose and then I hit a vein and you know, I figured it out, but, um, um, yeah, you know, um, it, it took, I went through a series of rehabs, uh, you know, consecutively, um, after that. And, you know, I, people would put this book in front of me. I remember the first time they put the book in front of me or like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting came to the treatment when I was 18. And I was like, who the fuck are these losers? You know, like <laughs> Jesus Christ, you know, what has your life become? And uh, God, little did I know, you know, <laughs> fuck. Um, and, um, you know, and so I went through that treatment and like two days later, I was using, you know, and, uh, you know, back out into the world and, you know, I had it all figured out. You guys were all losers and I was gonna figure it out, you know, and that led to a series of rehabs, you know, and to the point where I finally, I moved out here in 2008. I got sober. I stayed sober for like nine months. I moved back to, at that time I was living in Colorado. I was going to college in Colorado and uh, my, most of my family had moved out there and I went back there and uh, I stayed sober for like two more months. You know, I was that guy who was like, I, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll get connected. You know, like, I'm, I'm fine. I'll get connected. I'm going to work the steps. And I had been doing that here. And like how many people I know who have moved out here and like Eric too. And I'm sure so many of us that like, I'm coming out here for six months and I'm going back home and I'm going to be fine guy or girl, you know? And like, fuck, I see so, so many, you know? And like, I literally have yet to meet no one that was successful. I have one friend who just did it, just did it recently. He has like two years sober, you know, and, and I, I genuinely believe he will be successful and he will be the only one. But the amount of people that I know who have had six months and or nine months or whatever, you know, and are like, oh, I got this, moving back home, we'll get connected. It's like, you hear from him for a month, maybe. And that's about it. Um, and I was that guy, you know, point being of that story, you know, if you're here, stay here. Like, what do you got, you know? 
all I had to go back to was a family that drove me nuts, you know, and triggered the shit out of me, like most of our families do, and a city where I ran around shooting dope and overdosing, and like on every corner, I was like, oh, I, you know, I bought in that parking lot, I bought in that parking lot, I bought in that parking lot. I did this there and I did this there. It's like, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't really want to go back to that, you know? And, and that's not saying you can't be sober in those environments because I genuinely believe with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you can be sober no matter what the circumstances are. You know, your, your sobriety is not, my sobriety is not circumstantial today. If I had to move back there today, I would be fine. But that is because of this program and I've worked the steps and I've, you know, um, you know, I've had, a, I've had a spiritual experience. I've had many spiritual experiences in this program and I'll get into that in a minute. Um, but I moved back and I wasn't successful and I started drinking and I didn't go back to heroin and I was just the like, oh, I was just a heroin addict guy, you know? And, um, but the point that is so important is A, I used heroin again eventually, you know, after like six and a half years, um, you know, I, I, I got to a breaking point and, and I did use again. Um, but that six and a half years, I was still so restless, irritable, and discontent. Like uh, by all outward appearances, I was successful. I went, I got an undergraduate degree, you know, I uh, double majored. I went on, I got a master's degree, you know, I got scholarships, I got grants, you know, my whole graduate school was paid for all of this stuff. And, you know, everybody around me, you know, looking at me is thinking like, oh, you know, he's doing great things and his, his life's so great. And inside I'm, I'm fucking dying, you know, I'm dying. I hate who I am. You know, I feel like such a fraud. I have the most severe case of imposter syndrome. You know, I still suffer from that today. You know, I deal with that on a daily basis. And I, you know, Melanie, I love what you said about mental health. You know, we come here to solve our problems as they relate to our spiritual malady and our alcoholism and our addiction. But if you suffer from a, a mental disease other than alcoholism or addiction, whatever you'd like to call it, you know, if you're bipolar, if you have depression or whatever, th this program is not necessarily going to solve that. You know, if you have a, a literal physiological imbalance, you know, a chemical imbalance within you, no amount of Alcoholics Anonymous is going to solve that. Um, it's gonna help, it sure is gonna help, but it's not gonna solve that. And you should not feel ashamed for seeking psychiatric or psychologic or treatment, whatever, you know, tr treatment for trauma, whatever it is, I highly encourage you to, to uh, seek those treatments out. And if anybody shames you for that, you know, you can tell them to get fucked and, uh, you know, get a new sponsor if it's your sponsor, that's what I'd say. Um, you know, um, and so, um, yeah, you know, by all outward appearances, all outward appearances, I was doing well, but I was dying inside. And that's the point that like, I really want to drive home is that like, you know, maybe you can go be the, I'm going to drink sometimes, or I'm going to smoke weed sometimes, uh, man or woman, you know, but how are you really doing? Oh, I think you just lost them. Um, oh no. Oh, back to me. Oh, got it, oh, okay. nailed it. Um, and, um, you know, so 
it's not so much about like what you can do. It's like, how are you going to feel doing it? You know? And like, what's your life going to look like? Because I would go to bed at night and I have all these like great outward, you know, materialistic things and these degrees or whatever. And I go to sleep at night and I just wanted to die. You know, I'd wake, I, I go to sleep at night and I think like, maybe if I could just like not wake up tomorrow, you know? not wake up tomorrow you know and and slowly it turned into like i just couldn't handle myself right that was that's just the theme of my life is like everything can be going great and i just can't deal with james you know james is my goddamn problem you know and it took me so long to realize that but like it was always like if i could just arrange this situation to be like this or if i could just get this or i could just get that or she would just do this or he would just do that and like like it talks about in the book man i was like trying to arrange the play the pawns right if everybody could just act accordingly it would all be good you know but shockingly that didn't happen like it didn't happen in all of your lives you know none of us arranged the pawns right and um you know, and I was miserable. And uh, I got to a point where, you know, I was so stuck on like the career success thing. And, you know, I was going back to do more schooling. I decided at that point, like, ah, oh, screw being, you know, like a, you know, a computer scientist and, and a geologist, which is what I went and got my master's for. Like, I'm going to be a doctor, you know, maybe that'll solve things, right? You know, maybe if I just be a doctor and I can like build up my ego a little more by being a physician, like then I'll be good because then people will respect me, of course. And, you know, I just worked myself up into this insane frenzy and like, I snapped. Like I snapped and one day I went, I, I just went on this like insane Coke bender for like seven days and I woke up from that Coke bender and I was tired of cocaine and I, I went and found heroin, dude. And it had been like seven years and I found heroin in like 30 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, like, holy shit, you know, once an addict, always an addict, you know, and, um, God did it, it spiral from there, you know, um, you know, where it kind of ended was me in a hospital. I was, uh, I got to the point where like my girlfriend of five years was done, right? Kicked me out, I'm out. Like I'm living on credit cards and the little bit of money I have. Live hotel to hotel, um, figuring out how I'm gonna get my next high. But my, my habit's so bad that like, I really need like an eight ball day, you know? And, and now I don't just like shoot heroin. Like I gotta have cocaine with it too. I gotta shoot speedball because I'm not really feeling anything from the heroin anymore, you know? And, and so now I need like an eight ball heroin a day and like two grams of cocaine a day. And like, and you all know how it goes, right? The absolute insanity of living that way, you know? And of course my health deteriorates and uh, you know, um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm probably using needles over and over even though they're, you know, cheap to buy and I get infections in my arms, you know, and like, uh, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, they start and I'd had them before and, and before you know it, like both my arms are twice the size they should be. And, um, you know, and like one of my, where, you know, I'm starting to get an abscess and it's starting to kind of look a little green and like, 
I don't know if it's the cocaine or I have a fever. It's kind of hard to tell, you know, when you're shooting that much cocaine, but damn, do I not feel right. And, um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I reached out and I ended up in the hospital and, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, they're telling my mother who was called to the hospital that they're going to have to amputate my right hand. And they may have to, they're certainly going to amputate the right hand. They may have to amputate the left hand. And, um, you know, that's where it goes for me. That's, that's like where my disease takes me every time. And the lie that I tell myself every time I go out is that I'm just going to do one, right? I'm just gonna buy a quarter gram from the dope dealer. And that's gonna like, even though my tolerance is really low, like that's gonna be like two shots maybe, you know? So I'm just gonna get high tonight. That's gonna be, it's just gonna be this weekend. Okay, maybe it's just gonna be this weekend, um, you know? And before you know it, dude, it's like six months later. And I'm like, I have no fucking idea what happened. Once again, you know, and, and the book talks about it. Um, you know, it's, it, it talks about that, um, you know, hold on one second, sorry. You know, most of us have been unwilling to admit we are real, real alcoholics. I didn't want to admit it or an addict, whatever you want to call it. No person likes to think he's bodily and, bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Didn't want to think that. There is... Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. That the idea, and this is what I think is so important, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking. Heroin use, cocaine use, meth use, whatever it is for you, sex, whatever it is. Is the great obsession of every abnormal drinking, the persistence of this illusion, so it's saying it's an illusion, right? Like I'm gonna control it this time. It's telling me in this book, it's an illusion. And I had read this and I just didn't give a shit or I just wasn't paying attention, you know? Or I was just too far gone to know what the hell you guys were talking about. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death, right? And that's where I was heading. I was certainly insane and I was headed to death. Um, and, um, you know, even that trip to the hospital where I had like, I don't even remember now, I think I had three surgeries, like over consecutive days to basically like remove all the infection out of my body. Miraculously, I, you know, God blessed me with keeping these both of these hands. And, um, you know, that still wasn't enough. Like, I, I think I had to go to two more treatment centers after that, you know. And finally, I got to a point I was living out here and I had been out here for like a year and, you know, I'd even managed to get like a decent job out here and I was earning decent money and that stuff. And I had a, a roof over my head and I'm still like piecing it together so that I can use and like scraping together enough money so that I can like do like a gram a day and like, and I just got to this point where I just couldn't anymore, you know. It wasn't about getting probation off my back. It wasn't about getting a girlfriend off my back. I had no girlfriend. It wasn't about getting my, yeah, she was long gone. Um, I wasn't about getting my parents off my back. They wanted nothing to do with me. It wasn't about getting my friends off my back. They wanted, I didn't have any friends. 
or any friends that at that time wanted anything to do with me. I got to this point where I was so spiritually bankrupt, like I just couldn't live with myself anymore. And I was one of those addicts that it seemed like, yeah, I overeat from time to time, but like, I just wasn't going to goddamn die. You know, I was cursed to live on this earth in that addict hell forever. And that was just going to be it, you know? And I was probably going to like, you know, I don't know what I was going to, but, you know, I'll probably contract hep C at some point, you know, it's a miracle. I didn't, you know, I shared plenty of rigs with homeless people in my time, you know, and, uh, you know, just random assortments of people. And, uh, you know, I was, so I was probably going to contract hep C and probably HIV at some point. It was just going to cascade like that. And, and I just, I, I couldn't anymore. Like I just couldn't do it. And, um, uh, Finally, I walked into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous and instead of being the guy that came in and was like super stoked to be here and like I've got 30 days and I know everything about the program and I've read the book and like everybody in my sober living's fucking stupid and they don't know what they're doing and like I'm better than them even though we're all fucking morons in a sober living, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, I was like, you know, I had been the guy who like came in on the winning streak, you know, and like knew more. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I couldn't anymore. I was done. You know, I knew nothing. I had to resolve to the fact that I knew absolutely jack shit about living life. You know, jack shit. I thought I did, you know, I thought all those years of education and like all the years of running the street and buying heroin from, you know, cartels and this and that. And, you know, I was street hardened and it's like, no, no, I was just a fucking scared child. And I didn't know it. And I was 30 years old. You know, I had no clue. And um, I've learned that here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And today I can own that. I would have never told you that when I was coming in, right? Because my ego was so big. And then I was, I was so afraid that you were going to knock me down to right back here, like where I really believed that I was, you know, and you were going to expose that raw nerve. And, and I think we all feel that when we come in, you know, and, and, you know, if you're telling yourself in your head and you're new right now that, oh, no, that's not me. I, would encourage you to reevaluate, right? Because I think from that admission can come a lot of growth. I really do. You know, you know, it's kind of like that admission of being an addict or an alcoholic admission that I'm just afraid. I know nothing about life. I'm scared that you won't like me. I'm scared that I won't be enough. I'm scared. I have all these fears and I just, I won't tell you about them. Right. And we get to do that in our fifth step, right? Finally, we get to admit it to God, to ourselves, that part's important, to ourselves and to another human being. And finally, like, I'm free of it. And like, little bit surely, like all those things are on my fist up. I'm not so afraid to really just like share, you know, like, and I share them with my sponsees and I share them with you guys. And, you know, like slowly, but surely, like God shows me that it's okay to just be me. Right. And like, I kind of like me. I kind of like this person that I'm becoming through the steps, you know, and, you know, and so I walked into that room and I asked a guy who had always kind of intimidated me and like, who I felt like my ego would just clash with if, if he were my sponsor. And I finally just went and I, I asked him and I said, will you sponsor me? Like, I know nothing about staying sober, you know, 
And that was the first time I could really admit from all those times in treatment and all those times of getting sober that I had really never worked the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I really had never turned my will over to a power greater than myself. I had sure as shit not made any amends because I was way too much of a coward to do that, you know? And um, I knew nothing about getting sober. And, and, and I, for the first time in my life, I admitted that, right? And that was on September 30th, 2018, you know, and, and that's my sobriety date today. And, um, you know, and so we started working the steps together. And uh, I think one thing that I think is vitally important to um, get, get across is that, like, you don't have to get everything, like, right away, you know, like, the most important thing is, like, you get a sponsor, you start working the steps, and you don't, get loaded, right? And that's the beginning. You start working the steps. And if you don't understand step two completely, or you don't understand step three completely, right? If I, all it says within there is that you became willing to believe in a power greater than yourself, right? You don't even have to believe in a power greater than yourself. You just have to be willing to. It's literally, you know, that's all it says. You know, and so you could just be willing to warm yourself up to the idea at that point, like you have made a beginning. And it says that in the book, you have made a beginning, right? You know, I sure as hell didn't understand, you know, what it meant to turn my will and my life over to care of God, right? I had no idea what that meant, you know, but, but I was willing to try because I was just so like, it was the last house on the block, man. And I couldn't do it again. And if, if I went out again, like maybe I wasn't going to overdose, but I sure shit was going to kill myself. And if I wasn't going to kill myself, I didn't know what I was going to do, you know, like, because I probably wouldn't have, because it was, like I said, I was just too much of a coward to, to go to that ex extremes. But, um, you know, and then I, you know, I, I did a step four and I was completely honest on it. And I did a step five and and then six and seven and, you know, and six and seven, I think are so frequently overlooked, but some of the most important steps, right? You know, we take a look, you know, oh, the traditions, I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> uh, you know, admitted to God, or sorry, we're entirely ready to have, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of characters and we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. So I go through five, I've got it all out, but now what am I gonna do about it, right? I realize what a piece of shit I've been, all right? I realize all the fears I have. I realize all these defects and all these fallacies that I believed for my entire life, right? I realized that my makeup is based on lies and just shit. So what am I gonna do about it at this point? Am I just gonna be like, oh, okay, cool. You know, nice pile of shit and like go on with my life or or am I gonna do something about it, right? And the way that we begin on that is we go through step eight and step nine and we start owning up to that shit. And no one wants to do it. No one wants to do it, right? Step nine drove me out of these rooms more time than I can count, right? I, got, I, I went on, two, I think two step men's, two step nine men's trips on two different rounds of sobriety and got loaded both times, you know? Like, I was so afraid of of step nine and 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 so i got loaded but nobody wants to do it but you know what 
lean on your sponsor, lean on the people around you, lean on the other people who have been there and lean on the power greater than yourself that you've established a connection with. Because even though you may not know it and you're at step nine and you're saying, I don't really have a power greater than myself. Well, you're still here, you're in this room and you're doing step nine. So you're, you have faith in something, you know, whether you realize it or not, you do have faith in something and it's not you because if it were, if it were me or if it were you, we, you know, we'd hit the door, you know, I'm not making a, I'm not making an amends to my stepfather who I hate more than anything in the world. Right. And then I go and I make these amends and I rekindle these relationships and I start owning up to these things. And all of a sudden I feel like, like I've started to feel like I could take a deep breath and like, maybe I, maybe I do belong, you know, maybe I'm all right. Maybe being okay is, maybe being me is okay. And maybe the people that don't like me, maybe that's just something with them, or maybe they just don't like me and that's okay. Cause not everybody's going to like me and that's all right. You know, but I'm okay with me today. And that's the greatest treasure that Alcoholics Anonymous has ever given me, right? that I'm okay with me today, really no matter what, right? And Alcoholics Anonymous has given me all these amazing things, right? And so you go through, you do your step nine and then you do your, your maintenance steps and 10 and 11 and you form that conscious contact with God, right? Because you're not gonna form a conscious contact with your higher power if you don't seek him, right? Says in C, letter C, we pretty much read it in every Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you know, and how it works that God could and would if he were sought, right? And the previous A and B are talking about the fact that like no human power could have released our, relieved our alcoholism and that God can, but he has to be sought out. So if you're not seeking God, he's not just, you know, he's not going to jump out of a bush. I mean, that wasn't my experience, at least. If it is, like, I hope you get it on video, you know. Um, but um and then you start working with other alcoholics in step 12. And that's really, really where like the mirror, that's really where you start to understand the steps. You know, I think people in, in this room who've worked all 12 steps can relate that like where I learned the most about the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is when I went and led another man through them. That's where I really started to understand completely, you know, and, and my knowledge still grows, but um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous today, um, has given me absolutely everything, or and, and Heroin Anonymous has given me absolutely everything, right? I'm married today, you know. Uh, she doesn't hate me, you know, most of the time. Um, and um, I'm not an asshole all the time, and I'm not miserable all the time. And I have a good job, you know, I have a good job, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I like it enough, you know, and I'm, I'm actually working on uh, I'm moving into another career um that will allow me a lot more freedom work from home and and all these things and you know i have a dog who you know thinks i'm her higher power which is the coolest thing in the world right i look forward to that every day coming home to that dog that dog and um i used to thrive in the chaos and and now i can't stand it you know i have found out about myself that like I really just like chill, you know? Like I used to be this guy who would love to go to like all these parties and fucking raves and music festivals and, you know, all night, three day weekend, whatever, you know, and all this chaos. And like, I just like this, you know, like right here. I'm cool there, you know? And um, 
you'll find out everything about yourself in Alcoholics Anonymous that you didn't even know was possible. You know, I, I would, and heroin, I sorry, I say Alcoholics Anonymous because those are the meetings I go to, but I, you know, Heroin Anonymous too. You'll find out everything about yourself in this program that you you didn't even know, you know, if, and that's the, and that's the coolest thing, you know, that's why they say don't stop before the miracle happens because you may think like you can theorize about what two years from now may look like for you in sobriety. And what I know for sure is that you don't, I don't, you know, if, if you had, like they say, if you had given me a piece of paper and I had to write down what two and a half years sober would look like, I would have sold myself short, you know, and, and that's not just because of the material things. I always want to drive that home. It's not because of the material things. It's because of how I feel. It's because of the relationships I have you know, and uh, how I interact with the world, right? I never could have imagined that I could have just been like, all right, on earth, you know? I never thought that would happen. So anyways, um, if uh, you're new and you don't have a sponsor, get a sponsor. You're doing yourself a disservice, you know? If you're in here and you have some time and you're miserable, like ask yourself a few simple questions, you know? Am I helping other people? Where am I at my step work? Where am I at with my prayer and meditation, right? And what am I, and usually it's like, what am I continuing to do that's like really shitty? You know, like, and, and honestly, if I ask myself those questions, generally it doesn't take long for me to figure it out, you know? Um, and, it, and, if, and if you are miserable in this program, it really is your own damn fault, right? Uh, I have so many great, and, and I'm not saying like in sober living or 30 days sober, you're gonna have the greatest time in the program. You know, you're newly sober, but once you start getting some time, you start making some friends and formulate relationships and you get a little money in your pocket, you know. I go do all sorts of things with people. You know, we just went on a trip up to Big Bear. Um, you know, I've done multiple trips to Big Bear with people. I, uh, you know, do all sorts of things. Um, but if you are going to stick around, prepare to step over the bodies of the people who decide not to do it anymore, right? Um, you know, my best friend in the world used to sit right there, over there. Many of us know him. And, uh, you know, I had to, you know, he decided he could have one more drink at like, I don't know, was he four years over? It was like four years sober. He decided he could have another drink and he got in a car accident within a couple months of drinking and dead, man, you know. So we, the people have been around here for a while. I mean, I don't, I can't even count on two hands how many people have died, you know. It will be you at some point. It will be me at some point. So um, stay with us. Really glad you're here. Welcome. Congratulations once again. Nine months. That's insane. That's a really long fucking time. 60 days. It's a really fucking long time too. Um, so welcome. And uh, thanks for letting me be a part of your meeting.